Hello, you are listening to Audio Fanfic Podcast. Candy from a Stranger by Anna Vincent on Gossamer. Rating, Teen and Up. We walk this earth unknowing. Steadily, we build ourselves, improve towers and call them our world. In them we hide, though we know they're but mist ready to be dissipated by the wave of a careless hand, sandstone dwindling under the touch of unsettling waters. More than anything, we fear the change, for change will shatter our safety and bring down the wavering walls we so elaborately crafted. We cringe at the thought of being left with nothing to show for an ill-spent life, and still we hide. Unheeding to possibility, Seeing it only as the bearer of emptiness, we have come to thought of as death before death. And so it was, that when the time came, when I too was forced to make the choice between clinging to them crumbling walls of my perfectly planned world and sacrificing my safety for the eternal promise of what might lie ahead, I hesitated. Though I perceived the precariousness of my position, Though I foresaw no happiness down the path I was following, still I hesitated. Until the moment I allowed myself to take candy from a stranger. I have walked to the riverside as soon as my shift at the hospital ended. Sitting on a bench under the trees, I watched the night falling, gently covering everything. The river runs quietly, no breeze rippling its surface. It seems so peaceful but I see the places where, just beneath the undisturbed surface, throbs a fiery current. Mesmerized by the river, wondering how its ever-changing beauty can seem so permanent, I hardly move as the last rays of a blood-red sun disappear behind the Washington skyline, leaving the moon and the city lights to illuminate the landscape. I watch the moonbeam falling between the tree branches, to form undecipherable patterns at my feet. And I'm reminded of another time, when my father was stationed somewhere where the city lights did not exist. How different the night was then, with the moonlight taking over everything, turning the colors into multiple shades of black and white. Street lights, house and car lights, spotlights trained on monuments. They all seem to come together to create a faint orange halo that dims the moonlight. It is this paradoxically faint and all-engulfing luminosity that keeps me from reading what the moon scribes incessantly on the leaf-strewn ground. I find myself idly wondering if in this most ancient acronym I would find the answer to the questions that drove me to the sanctuary of solitude tonight. A shadow grows sweetly, caressing the floor, covering the moon-tainted leaves, drawing my eyes upward. A man stands there, the smile across his deep hazel eyes showing me what that strange quirk of his lip is supposed to be. He stretches something in my direction, a plastic cup filled with ice cream. You look like you could use this, he says. I take it, stunned into silence between this unusual offer. His smile seems to broaden a little, something between understanding and complicity washing over his face. Then he walks away. He just walked away? Melissa and I are standing in the corridor at the J. Edgar Hoover building. 
Missy dragged me here to attend a lecture by an FBI agent named Fox Mulder, and I've been telling her about my meeting with the stranger by the river. I nod and reply to her question. As I look around me, quite a crowd is gathered by the door of the conference room. I'm not surprised to see the acronyms MUFON and NICAP repeated in t-shirts, caps, and folders. The title of the lecture is Aliens and Supernatural Entities, Reality or Psychological Manifestations. Mother would be very disappointed. Huh? I look at my sister, not understanding what she means. You're not supposed to take candy from strangers, Missy recites primarily. We laugh. A bearded man wearing glasses and a nightcap cap, balancing on his curly red hair, looks fearfully at me before disappearing into the conference room. My eyes seem to roll of their own accord. Why do I let Melissa bring me to these things? She suggests we should be going in, before all the good seats are taken. I start following her into the room when I see him. That's him, I say, stopping her. Him? Her face brightens. You mean the ice cream man. Where? I show her. He's standing a bit aside from the crowd, talking to three other men. Which one? Missy asks. The one in the gray suit, with the ugly tie. Nice. Very nice. She gives me a push. Go talk to him. Missy? Go. I'll wait inside. She leaves me standing by myself, feeling like a complete idiot. Two men pass by, and one of them almost dumps his coffee on me. He doesn't even notice. He and the other man, both FBI agents from what I can tell, are talking about the lecturer, Mulder, and why the brass lets him get away with this. Whatever this is. They give me an idea. I buy two cups of coffee from a vending machine and walk up to where the man I met last night is standing. The three men he's talking to are certainly an odd bunch. One is wearing a suit, and his hair and beard are neatly trimmed. Another one looks nervously about him, through his dark-rimmed glasses, his hands alternatingly toying with the brim of his black t-shirt and pushing his unkempt blonde hair away from his face. When they see me, they very quickly move away. The third one, a short, bespeckled man wearing a furry vest, stops, just long enough to give me a lewd once over. At first, the tall man with hazel eyes doesn't seem to recognize me, and I'm starting to think that maybe this wasn't a good idea. Then he smiles, again, more eyes than mouth, and asks, Feeling better? I nod and hand him the coffee. If this is going to be half the drag, I suspect, you'll need this. His smile changes like he's sharing a private joke with someone I can't see. Why did you come then? My sister made me come. I realized how ridiculous this sounds coming from a grown woman. I laugh awkwardly. I mean, I... I know. Sisters have a way of making you do things you wouldn't otherwise. Still, not sure if it's a bad or a good thing. The amusement is gone from his face, replaced by something old and heavy. We stand like that for a moment, staring into each other's eyes, and I know I've touched something painful inside him. Another man comes up to us. If you're quite done, they're expecting us. He lowers his head. Be right there, Spender. He then shrugs at me. See you inside. And leaves. I find Missy easily in the almost full room. She's sitting right up front and has saved a seat for me. Her eyes are fixed on me as I take it. And, she says finally, 
He's an FBI agent, I say. At least he's not wearing a visitor badge. So what's his name? I don't know. You don't know? How can you? Oh. Some of the people in the room have started applauding. I follow Melissa's gaze and see the man I was just talking to take his place on the Tribune. I'm trying to decide whether to be amused or appalled as I realize that I've just told Fox Mulder his lecture was going to be so boring he should have some coffee. He starts speaking, and I find my attention fully focused on his words. It's not that I believe in any of this, but the passion and fervor with which he speaks are fascinating. Someone three rows behind me asks him if he thinks the FBI should be investigating claims of vampirism, lycanthropy, and such, when in so many cases they are connected with mental ailments. I can't help but notice that he looks at me before answering. Whether a person is a werewolf or simply believes to be one takes on little relevance when the consequences are the same. He goes on speaking. I notice that, though the lecture is about aliens and supernatural entities, he seems to focus a lot more on the first. I find myself shaking my head. How can he believe aliens do exist? You don't believe in aliens, miss. I suddenly realize he's talking to me. He must have seen me shaking my head, but it still feels like he read my thoughts. Doctor, Dana Scully, MD, I say, at the same time wondering if that sounded too cold or too stuck up. I don't see how I could possibly. The odds of all the conditions necessary to the appearance of life occurring are already too slender. If you triangulate that with all probability of the string of events necessary to generate intelligence taking place, you'll come to the conclusion that the existence of intelligent and technological developed life forms anywhere else is a near impossibility. A near impossibility is still a possibility. Pretty much everything is possible, Mr. Mulder, but very little is probable. Sir Francis Bacon. Personally, I prefer Sagan's position. The absence of proof does not constitute life of absence. He pauses a moment, as if he expects me to continue the argument. But I say nothing, and he proceeds with his lecture. Melissa leans towards me and whispers, Well, wasn't that interesting? I ignore her and listen as someone from SETI refers to my arguments to expound on the improbability of extraterrestrial beings, although being a rarity coming to Earth. Some people are starting to leave. They look mostly like government agents. Among them, the two that almost doused me with coffee earlier. Soon the lecture is over. Melissa and I are leaving when I hear Mulder's voice calling me. He hands me three or four books and a card. See what you think. He walks away, but apparently remembers something, turns back. If you're ever in England, he tells me in hushed tones, don't introduce yourself as M.D., I'm not sure how long I've been standing there by the door of apartment 42. Many times I have started the way back to the elevator, but I can't bring myself to leave. Something inside me has been restless for the past week, ever since I realized Craig is preparing to propose to me. Meeting Mulder hasn't helped. The elevator doors slide open and a tall man walks out. He wears a thin beard, and there's something haunted about the way he looks at me. He's probably wondering what I'm doing here standing like an idiot in the middle of the hallway. His eyes are still on me as he opens the door of the apartment next to Mulder's. I smile faintly as I knock on Mulder's door. 
No turning back now. The door opens without as much as a who's there. Mulder stands in the doorway wearing a faded gray t-shirt and a pair of wrinkled blue cotton shorts. I notice the discolored rings under his eyes. It looks like he hasn't slept right in many nights. I brought your books, I say. Except for one. I haven't finished reading it yet. He steps aside without a word to let me in. He doesn't seem too convinced that I'm here, or maybe he's too tired to care. I turn to ask if maybe I should leave, when I notice the bandage appearing under his right sleeve. I grab his arm and pull the sleeve up. This needs changing. Where's the bathroom? He points vaguely towards the other side of the small hall we're standing in. I lead him to the bathroom and find what I need in the cluttered cabinet over the sink. Mulder sits on the edge of the bathtub, watching me, as I change the dressing on his wound. I look up and notice he has that amused look on his face again. I found you in the phone book, I say. Not many fox molders around, and the phone number checked. He doesn't say anything, just keeps staring at me. I swear the man is part Cheshire cat. I give a final tug at the gauze to make sure it won't come off. All done. Want some coffee? And I just made a fresh pot. I smile. What? No ice cream? He grins as he shows me to the kitchen and pours me a cup of steaming coffee. As I follow him back through the hall and into the living room, I wonder how he has managed to find two clean coffee mugs in the hazmat zone his kitchen resembles. When I walk into the living room, I decide the kitchen actually looked pretty organized. Mulder starts picking up loose sheets of paper, folders, and photos from the floor. He looks up at me. They're from a case I'm working on. It helps me think. I pick up one of the photos. It depicts a window, nothing more. I hand it back to him. A little girl went missing, he says, staring at the photo like he can see something in there I didn't. Parents didn't hear a thing. No sign of fourth century. I notice the front page of the folder open on the coffee table. The big letters read, Case Closed. Mulder follows my gaze. They think the parents are somehow responsible, except that they have no proof. So they just close the case. Many you think otherwise. I try to sound as neutral as possible as I say, You think she was, how do you say, abducted? He sits on the coffee table. I take it you didn't find those books convincing? I push away some issues of Playpen magazine and sit in front of him on the immense black couch. You have to admit they have no real evidence. Considering the line of work you're in, you should appreciate my doubts. You are a strange woman, Scully. You say you don't believe in UFOs and have no interest in such things. And still, you allow your sister to talk you into going to my lecture. I pick up a framed photo from the coffee table. My sister could talk a refrigerator into roasting her a five-pound side of beef. The photograph is of a young girl, no more than ten. She looks a lot like Mulder, and for a moment, I wonder if maybe she's his daughter. I look at him. He has the same sad look I saw on his face when I talked to him about Missy just before his lecture. And now I understand. Your sister, I ask, as he takes back the photograph. He nods and I wait in silence, wondering if he'll tell me why he has a photo of his sister as a child on display instead of a current one. He holds my hand and toys with my fingers. He seems to be pondering 
how much he can trust me. Then so softly I can barely hear him, he begins. That photo was taken when I was 12 and Samantha was 8, just a month or so before she disappeared. So, that's why he's refusing to let go of a case his superiors have already closed. No sign of forced entry and no witnesses? One witness. He lops back into silence. I don't know what to say. His eyes are fixed on me, and again, I have the feeling that he is measuring me somehow. I was there when it happened, he says, but I couldn't remember any of it, not for many years, except in my nightmares. You were so young. I went to a doctor, a specialist in hypnotherapy. He helped me remember. We were alone in the house. My parents were just next door. We were playing some stupid board game and bickering as usual. Then... The lights came on, and I was frozen in place. The doors opened and the bright lights outlined a humanoid figure, too elongated and too thin to be human. Samantha started floating out of the room, calling for me, for my help. But I couldn't move. I couldn't move. I run my fingers through his hair. He kneels before me and hides his face on my lap. I bend over and kiss the back of his neck. He looks up at me and smiling, pulls me down to the floor. His smile disappears as he bends over to kiss me. When I wake up, I notice the light coming through the window has grown softer. Dusk must be near. I look around us for my watch, but can't find it. Mulder mutters something in his sleep and moves a little away from me. I watch him for a moment. We're still on the floor, between the couch and the coffee table. We pulled some pillows down from the couch as well as a blanket that was conveniently at hand. Too conveniently at hand. A little voice inside me starts to wonder about that sister story. How many do you think have fallen for it, it asks. I get up on one elbow and stare at him. If that's what he did. The voice returns. You mean make it easy for you to get exactly what you came here for? I try to silence it by focusing my attention back on Mulder. His brow is furrowed, and the things he's been mumbling are getting louder and louder. As he tosses and turns, he screams, Samantha. I pull him to me and hug him, kissing his forehead lightly. Slowly, he calms down and, to my surprise, continues sleeping. I remember the dark circles under his eyes. The nightmares must be a common thing. I find my watch. It was under the table, hidden beneath one end of the blanket. Mulder set it movements and covered it partially. It's over seven already. Damn. I suddenly remember. Bill is in town. I was supposed to be at my parents' house at eight for dinner. Careful not to wake up Mulder. I get up and get dressed. Before I walk out, I leave a calling card with a short message, scribbled in the back. As I drive to my parents' house, I try as best I can to flatten my clothes. No time to go home and change. I use the rearview mirror to fix my hair. Brilliant, I say out loud. Mother will take one look at you and know exactly what happened. I hurry up the driveway five minutes to eight. Well, at least I'm not late. I knock on the door. Craig opens it. Something else I had forgotten about. He tries to hug me and kiss me. I quickly elude his embrace. Fortunately, I see Bill crossing from the kitchen to the living room. There you are, I say. I missed you. I see my mother's brief look at the clock before she joins us. Dana, where were you? We thought you were coming with Craig. Busy, 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 I say, 
quickly moving into the living room to greet my brother's wife. Doing what? I look at Melissa and grimace. None of your business. Craig holds me by the arm. I went by the house. You weren't there. You weren't at the hospital either. I smile. What's this? Give Dana the third degree night? My father comes to my rescue. So, when are we having dinner? I kiss him on the cheek as we take our seats. Hello, Ahab. You're welcome, Starbuck, he says. And, by the way, where were you? I laugh and move to my seat next to Craig, facing Missy. But I'm not happy at all. I don't like lying. Not like this. I eat in silence, listening to the others question Bill. Suddenly, my cell phone rings. My mother makes her, I hate those things look. I give her an apologetic smile as I answer it. Scully. What did you have to hurry for? Mulder's voice asks on the other side. I feel myself turning red. Family dinner. Oh. He laps into silence. Did something happen? I finally ask. Spender just called. We have to go to Chicago. New case. May take a while from the looks of things. Then, I'll give you that last book when you come back, I say. Right, the book. Well, I'll call you when I return. I find myself smiling when I realize he's actually asking for permission to call me again. Sure. See you then. See you then. Be careful. He laughs. I'm always careful. And hangs up. Who was that? My mother asks. Huh? A friend. Uh, I have some books of his. He's going out of town. Missy gets up and starts lifting the table. Anyone for dessert? I think I'd like some ice cream. What do you say? She pauses deliberately and grins at me. Dana? I'll help you. When we're alone in the kitchen, she turns to me and lets it out. I can't believe you slept with him. I look away, pretensively scraping the dishes. Who? She slaps my arm. Don't you start with me. You know who. My mother comes into the kitchen. What's taking you too long? Everyone is waiting for you. Relieved, I move back into the dining room. Craig stands when he sees me walk in. There's this look on his face I have no trouble identifying. Oh no, not tonight. He pulls a little black box out of his pocket. Since most of the family is here, I thought we could take the chance to make things official. I look at the ring, not knowing what to do. Finally, I just blurt it out. Craig, I don't want to marry you. It's like everyone stopped breathing. I hate doing this in front of everyone. But I always thought he'd ask me when we were alone. And I couldn't possibly lead him on. Not as I stand here still smelling of molder. Before anyone can react, I get my coat and bag and I say, I think I'll go home now. Two weeks have passed since that night. I've talked to Craig, to my father, to my mother, even to Bill, about refusing the marriage proposal. I have, of course, not talked about it with Missy. She knows the truth. Someone knocks on the door. I answer it and find Mulder standing there, a supermarket bag on his hand. He hasn't called me once during these two weeks. On one side, I was quite relieved at this. It gave me time to get things straight in my head. On the other, I just think it was terribly inconsiderate of him. Can I come in, he asks. You didn't call. I know. We stand in silence for a moment. Then I step aside and let him in. And you can wipe that smile off your face, I say as he passes me. I point at the bag. What's that? He pulls me to him and kisses me, leading me to the kitchen area. Dinner. 
Mulder sits the bag on top of the counter and takes out a bottle of wine, a quart pack of strawberry ice cream, a vial of cherries, and a can of whipped cream, and a little box of chocolate confetti. Bowls and spoons? No, wait, just the spoons, he says, opening the ice cream and dousing it with whipped cream. For a long time, we sit on the couch, sharing the ice cream and the wine, and talking. I learn that he's been to Harvard and Oxford, and he tells me about his assignment at the FBI, some section called The X-Files. We wrestle with our spoons over the last cherry, and I drop my spoon and grab the cherry, popping it in my mouth with a smug smile. Mulder kisses me, stealing part of the cherry. Suddenly he bends over with a groan. No, my stomach. Serves you right. But I have to admit, I am a bit queasy myself. I fix us some Alka-Seltzer. We're not kids anymore, I say. He hugs me. No, we're not. Want to lie down for a while? He gives me that crooked smile of his. Not exactly what I had in mind. Again, he grabs his stomach, groaning. But my stomach seems to agree with you. I lead him to the bedroom and we lie down in each other's arms. Mulder is soon asleep. Before I drift off into slumber, the doorbell rings. I get up and walk to the door. Mulder just turns to the other side. He seems to sleep deeply when he's with me. My parents picked a fine time to visit. The worst part is, they decide to bring Craig along. Why don't they get it? We're going out to dinner, Starbuck. Thought you might like to come. I already had dinner, I say. Obviously. Craig is standing by the coffee table, staring at the empty ice cream package and the two glasses. He picks one of them up. Well, this certainly explains a few things. I'm a free woman. I can see whoever I please, I say, taking the glass away from him. He looks at my robe. I certainly would like to see who that is, he says, moving to the bedroom. I fight the urge to bar his way. He's not there. He got called away when we were eating. I walk to the door, opening it. I have a long day tomorrow. Craig gives a last look in the direction of the bedroom and storms out. My parents leave after him. My mother giving me a look that means we'll have a long talk sooner or later. I close the door behind them and turn around to find Mulder standing there. It's obvious from the look on his face that he heard the whole conversation. Probably thinks I'm ashamed of him or something. I. But he interrupts me. Hey, I feel no need to get into a fight with some old boyfriend of yours, and this isn't exactly how I want to meet your parents for the first time. He opens his arms to give me a better look of the only thing he's wearing, a pair of black silk boxer shorts. I kiss him. Thank you for being so understanding. That's me, Mr. Understanding. I'm watching him sleep now. He's peaceful. No nightmares. I've been thinking about how my life has changed since I met him and wondering if I'm in love with this man. I'm still not sure. Maybe I am. What I feel about him is certainly different enough. But... Whatever this feeling is, I certainly like it. I especially like the trust, a trust that came so quickly between us. The change has come, the change I've feared so much for so long, and I think it's only just beginning. But wherever it may lead, whatever it may bring, of this much I'm sure, this man lying by my side, this stranger I seem to know so well, will be there for me. Maybe it is love. Maybe that's what love is in the end. Not permanence, but simply being able to change together.
If you like this story and would like to contribute, you can do so by going to our Patreon page at www.patreon.com forward slash audio fanfic pod. As a patron, you are granted early access to one new story of your choosing per month. Thank you for listening. And remember, the stories are out there.